Welcome to the Sozo Church Podcast. Our desire is to see every person know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Enjoy. And first we're going to start with verse number one. Let me give you a little context. It says this, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, scholars tell us, most theologians uh, tell us that in the New Testament alone, there's about four guys by the name of James, four church leaders by the name of James. Um, when you begin to study different scholars, you'll, you'll quickly find out that most of them would agree that the James that uh, th- this book is written by and after and named after is the half-brother of Jesus. Jesus was uh, born of a virgin, Virgin Mary. This was the Immaculate Conception, so he doesn't necessarily have a father. Uh, Joseph was not his biological father, but he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. But Joseph would, would be considered his father. And so uh, one of his siblings was named James. So we say he's his half-brother because James was born by Joseph and Mary. And so most scholars believe that this is, this is Jesus' brother, James. And I love the way that he starts this off. He doesn't even say this. Watch. I love this. He doesn't say, hey, he doesn't like pull like a title. Hey, I'm Jesus' brother. Like he doesn't do that. He actually says, I'm actually a servant of Jesus Christ. What's interesting is that James, uh, history tells us that James was not a believer Uh, that his brother Jesus was the son of God until after the resurrection, which really makes a lot of sense. Could you imagine living with your siblings, trying to convince them that you are the son or daughter of God? How does that go, right? It's like, you, 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 you know, you're, you're, you're fighting and arguing over a, a, a game of basketball, and you're like, you know that I am the son of God, and you should give me the basketball right now, you know. I'm sure there's a lot of animosity within uh, their house there. Uh, so James was not a believer, um, but after the resurrection, he quickly became a believer that his brother truly was the son of God. And so he becomes a, a believer that Jesus was the son of God and who he said he was. And then he not only commits to becoming a follower of the way of Jesus and the kingdom of God, but then he also becomes one of the, the church leaders in the city of Jerusalem. He, is, he was essentially the pastor over the, the church that was established in Jerusalem just after Jesus uh, died. Uh, there's something when you read in history called the diaspora, which is the dispersion of the Jews. Essentially, the Jewish people were dispersed um, earlier, even before the persecution of the Christians, but even dating back <clears throat> from the, the Babylonians and the Assyrians, they were scattered all over the world. And so you have Jewish people at this time uh, of, of history that were living all over the world. And, uh, and James actually writes this letter not addressed to a specific group of people, like a specific church, like most epistles, but he writes this letter to Jewish Christians that are spread all over the world. As you can see it right there, he says, this is to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Now, here's why that's important. This gives us a backdrop by which he's sharing this, this encouragement about considerate joy when you face trials. The Jewish people, if you've read anything in history, the Jewish people, not, not just like the early church, but dating back even before that, the Jewish people have been under attack and persecution and oppression and have been hated by people all over the world for, for as long as they've been around. It is absolutely mind-blowing. If you've ever been to Israel or if you've never been to Israel, you need to go. You need to walk through the Holocaust Museum. You need to see all those things, the, the history of the Jewish people. It is heartbreaking when you see what these people have gone through, being hated by everyone. Being, I mean, the Assyrians would impale them, would put stakes through the Jewish people and line them down the streets, would torture them. They would be beheaded. They would be persecuted. They were oppressed. They were marginalized. This was a, a group of people that have 
have felt so much pain and brokenness, exiled from their own city. Talk about gentrification. They were taken out of their own city and they were pushed out of their homeland and they were forced to live in captivity and slavery. This was brutal what the Jewish people had gone through. But now on top of them just being Jewish, these people are Jewish Christians. So as as if they don't have enough oppression and trials and hardships and pain and suffering, they go, hey, sign me up for more. I want to be a Christian. Because in this particular day, the Romans were occupying Jerusalem and most of the known world there, and they hated Christians. They hated Christians. They would actually bring them in front of crowds of people and would feed Christians to lions in front of people. It was torturous. So these are Jewish Christians, persecuted, trials, every reason to give up hope, every reason to fold, fold in, every reason to throw in the towel. And on top of being Jewish and being Christians, they were actually poor. So they were poor Jewish Christians. Because they were Jewish, no one liked them. Because they were Christians, the Romans hated them. Because they were poor, the rich oppressed them. They have every reason to complain, to, to make themselves victims, to have excuses why they can't flourish in life. They have every type of excuse. Every type of reason to say, why should I even continue? Why should I even go on? And to this, James writes this phrase. Look at this. Hey, guys, consider it pure joy. Another translation says, when you go through problems, consider this an opportunity, an opportunity for you to rejoice. Doesn't that sound like a little far-fetched? Like, James, are you serious This is an absolute ridiculous statement that you'd even give us that type of encouragement. Have you ever been going through something in your life and then you're just kind of sharing it with a friend or family member and you just want them to listen to you? You don't need any advice. You just want them to listen. And they sit there and then they give you their kind of diagnosis or their prescription of what you need to do in your situation and you just want to backhand them. You ever been in one of those moments? Am I the only one? Okay, thanks a lot, guys. Make me feel very secure up here. There's sometimes when you're going through something, you don't want any advice, you don't want any counsel, you don't want any encouragement. You just let me be me. Let me sit in my chair of despair and throw a pity party. Let me be a victim. But James says, because I love you, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you this because I love you. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever. He doesn't say if you go through trials. He says whenever you go through trials. It's going to happen. This is the inevitable. Whenever you go through trials, consider it pure joy. Consider it. How you consider what you're going through says a lot about your faith. This whole thing is about faith. It's centered around their faith. And he says, because you're people of faith, I want you to consider something. Consider what you're going through a certain way. How you consider the trials, the problems, the pain in your life, the suffering in your life, how you consider those things, how you view those things, it says a lot about your faith. That's the point he's trying to to make here. Uh, Notice that he says this. He says, this is a trial of your faith. It's a trial of your faith. See, trials, they they don't develop your faith, as we'll see in just a moment. They expose the faith that you have or you don't have. The reason why it's called a trial is because your faith is on trial. Imagine a court situation and your faith is the person in the center of the room and and it's being examined by someone. There is evidence that is examining your faith. My question is this, whatever trial you have faced, you are facing or you're going to face. My question is this, do do you have faith that will endure the trial and on the other side of it, you'll be able to say, my faith was true? Because that's the point. He says, when you go through a trial, it's simply this. It's an examination. It's, a, it's a, a, a trying to see 
is there truly faith there and to what level of maturity is that faith? Do you have faith, number one, a reality of it? Number two, do you have a quantity of faith? Like, do you have a lot of it? Or number three, do you have a quality of faith? Is it deep, deep faith, rooted, fortified, and a grit to your spirituality? Do you have that type of faith? Because he goes on and he says this. He goes, if you do have it, when you go through trials, here's the way we're going to know it, is that you're going to keep your spirit. You're going to have a spirit of joy. How many of you know that you cannot control your situation, but you can control your spirit. You may not be able to dictate uh, your adversity, but you can dictate your attitude. You can do it. He says, consider it pure joy. Another translation says, choose joy. Turn to your neighbor and say, choose joy. Choose joy. No matter what you're walking through, no matter how many times you've walked through something, and no matter how many things you're facing, you have a responsibility as a person of faith to make a decision that I'm not going to let my situation dictate my emotions, but I'm going to dictate and lead my emotions, and I'm going to say I'm going to choose joy in spite of the situation that I'm walking through. He says people of faith, one of the marks of a Christian, a follower of Christ, is that no matter how hard life is no matter how bad their circumstances are there's something different about them that they don't they don't act like they're a victim of their situation they choose to lead their situation with a spirit of joy and with the right spirit the right attitude choosing that i'm going to be positive i'm going to have an outlook of faith he says this is what people of faith this is what they're like this is what they do i love that you choose joy notice that he says uh, when you face many trials uh, I looked at that, uh, that original uh, word there where it says many trials or trials of many kinds. It, it actually means diversity. It's a diversity of adversity. It's all sorts of types of problems. He doesn't put any prerequisite for, the, for you choosing joy, like only choose joy when you have uh, certain types of challenges. He says, in a diversity of adversity, if it's a financial situation where you're challenged, he says, choose joy. If it's a relational breakdown, choose joy. If you've lost your job, choose joy. If your kids are acting crazy, choose joy. If someone has backstabbed you, choose joy. It doesn't matter. You name it, you fill in the blank. Choose joy joy. And in a diversity of, ad, uh, of adversity where you feel like at every angle, have you ever felt like that? It's like you can't win. It's like, man, I lost my job. Uh, man, I, I, they forgot to pay me. Uh, my car is broken down. My window got smashed out. Man, my wife, she's mad at me. My kids, they cursed me out. It's like, I can't win for nothing. Choose joy. Choose joy. It's like, James, the standard you're calling us to is so high. And that's the point. When we live at a higher standard, the world demands an explanation. Yeah. How do you have joy and you just got diagnosed that? Because I have faith in Jesus Christ who can heal my body. How can you have joy and you just got evicted from your house because they're selling your house? How can you have joy? Because my God owns a cattle on a thousand hill and I can have faith and choose joy. How do you do it? <laughs> the only way you can do it is to have a perspective of faith. You have to have a spirit of faith and choose joy in spite of your circumstances. Here's the first thing I'm going to give you this. I'm not going to give you all three points if you don't have time. I'm just going to give you one because I think the one is probably the most important one. If you're going to keep your joy when you face trials, because that's the point of what James is saying. When you walk through trials, you have to choose. You have to choose. I'm going to be joyful I'm going to have a 
the right spirit. I'm going to be positive. I'm going to have the right outcome. I'm going to carry myself with my head held high, not beat down by my circumstances, but with my face fixed like flint towards my Savior, Jesus Christ. How do you do it? How do you choose joy? I think what he's trying to say is this, is if you're going to keep your joy, you've got to keep your perspective. If you're going to keep your joy, you've got to keep your perspective. He says this, he says, whenever you face trials, verse two, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know, he says, you know this. This is the perspective you have. You know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. See, a wise person knows that when I'm going through a trial, my trial is actually my training. When I'm dealing with a problem, my problem is actually a setup for me to be prepared for the things I've been praying and believing God for. God, God doesn't, you, you got to be clear about this, because in chapter one, he talks about trials and temptation, and he gives them a perspective, a, a, a godly perspective. He says, temptations do not come from God. Temptations actually come from your own flesh on the inside of you, enticing you to, to, to drag you away from God. But trials, though they do not come from God, God allows them to come to you so that whenever they begin to try to drag you down, you can actually take a stand in faith and say, God, I'm not going to let this thing drag my spirit down. And as you begin to resist the gravitational pull to pull your spirit down, you know what it actually does? It's like when you're working out. It's that resistance actually builds your muscle. And where there was once a struggle, there can now be a strength. I had a guy that called me the other day from London. He's, uh, he's becoming a friend of Jennifer and I's. He's, he's a very prophetic voice. Like he just sees and senses things and he just calls it like it is. And I was sharing with him um, about our church plan in the last eight months of my life. He said, tell me, tell me all about what's happened in the last eight months of your life. And so I shared with him, I was like, well, you know, if I'm candid with you, man, we've had a lot of great moments as a church. We've had a lot of great moments as a family, but I've actually had one of the most challenging seasons the last eight months. I said, you know, we, we started a church. Now, if any of you in here, you've ever been a part of a startup, like at, as a, at a business or something like that, it's not easy or everyone would be starting things, right? A startup is hard. Like that, it, by nature, it's like startup, struggle. That's what that means. That's what that means. If you're starting something, you're going to struggle. You're going to fight. You're going to pioneer. You're going to plant. You're going to plow. It's interesting that we say planting a church. You know why, why it's called planting a church? Because you go where there's trees, figuratively speaking, where there's trees. You cut down the trees, then you pull up the roots, then you till the ground, then you plant the seed, then you water it, then you wait for it to grow. That's what, why it's called planting a church, because it's hard work, okay? So, so I'm talking to this guy, Ken, and I said, man, it's just, that was, it, that was hard to start the church, but then we got the church off the ground. I said, then my, my best friend passed away from cancer. I said, that was hard. I struggled for a few weeks there. I struggled to reconcile my faith that God can heal, but yet my friend died and we believed. So I said, that was a struggle. And then I said, fast forward a few more months, then my father passes away. And I was like, gosh, it was like compounding fracture is what I told him. That was the word I used. I said, this last season has been a season of struggle internally for me, a struggle in my faith. And I said, it was compounding fracture. It was a diversity of adversity. Boom, boom. And this is what Ken told me. Man, this is so good. He said, Jason, here's what the Holy Spirit told me to tell you. He said, what has in this last season been a, like the compounding fracture is, is the picture of whenever you've broken a bone and it's fractured. He said, you know that when a bone heals over time where it was once broken and fractured, it will actually be stronger. 
He said, what the Spirit of God said to tell you is this, this last season of struggle. He said, you've had compounding struggle that will be turned into compounding strength. Here's the point he's trying to, trying to make. Hey, your trial is your training. Your pressure and your pain is actually your preparation. Do you realize this? When you walk through a trial, it could be God answering the prayers that you prayed about living a successful life, a life where you fulfill your dreams. It's simply him saying, okay, you want that? Then let me just open this up and allow you to walk through this. And it's going to actually, there's going to be a strength in your struggle. There's going to be a development that's going to happen. Like whenever you go through that pain, when you go through that suffering, I'm actually going to do a deeper work. I just need you to get the perspective. This situation is not about the situation. It's about your development. It's about your preparation. It's about your training because I'm preparing you for what I've prepared for you. That's what it is. Let me fire off a couple verses and I'm going to pray over you and we're going to go baptize some folks. It's going to be great. James 1, he says it like this in verse 2. He says, he says, consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces. See, it prepares, it develops, and it grows. Here's what I want you to do. Cooperate with God's growth process in your life. Don't resist suffering. Don't resist trials. Whenever you go through something, don't go, man, the devil's working against me. Shift your perspective and say, man, God's working in me. The devil's not working against me. God's working in me. Embrace, cooperate with God's growth strategy and process in your life. James 1, he says, verse 4, let perseverance finish its work. Let perseverance, he's saying this, stay in the process, feel the struggle, but let it finish its work. Let it mature you. Let it complete you. Let it help you reach your full potential. The apostle Paul even talked about this in Romans. Romans 5, he says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know it's a perspective. We know this, there's an insight. There's a keen insight. We know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Paul believed this. James believed this. Jesus believed this. Your pain can become your preparation if you keep the right perspective. Don't let it get you bitter. Don't let it make you resent God or resent, you know, people that you think are causing your pain or even start just blaming things on the devil. Don't do that. Just say, hey, this is God allowing this because he's preparing me and training me and putting a grit in my soul to do the great things he's called me to do in Jesus' name. Peter even said this in 1 Peter 1. He says, in all of this, greatly rejoice. There it is again. Choose joy. Though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, diversity of adversity. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Amen, brother. Let me give you this last verse right here. How do you do it? How do you, how do you press through it? How do you fight through it? Do you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just, I'm going to fight this thing out? No, no, no. It's much deeper than that. It's actually, there, there's a, there's, there's something practical you can do, choose joy, but there's something very spiritual, very rich, very theological that you've got to get. And it's this, 1 Thessalonians 1. This is to a group of believers in Thessalonica. Paul wrote this. They had gone through heavy persecution, much trial, much hardship, much like the, the scattered Jewish people all across uh, the, the world that we had talked about. And this is what he says to them. We remember before our God and Father 
your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, watch this, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's, 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 here's my solution for my own soul. When I walk through trials, the only way I can have patient endurance to go through it is to keep a spirit of hope in Jesus. He says endurance is inspired by hope in Jesus. Listen, you want patient endurance for the trials you walk through? The only way you'll have endurance is if you, if you keep your hope. The only way you're going to find hope is to rest your faith in Jesus. It all comes back, not to you pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and I'm just gonna fight really hard and I'm gonna press through this trial. No, it comes back to you falling on your knees before Jesus and saying, I can't, but you can. Give me strength, give me endurance, give me perseverance. I rest my faith in you, Jesus, amen? Come on, why don't you bow your heads with me? I'm gonna pray for you. Lord, we love you so much and we thank you for this word right out of the book of James. This is what believers dealt with 2,000 years ago. And what I know is that there are people under the sound of my voice right now, they're walking through a fiery trial in their life. But God, your word to them is if you'll hang on and you'll keep your faith in Jesus, though you are walking through fire, you're being refined and you're going to come out gold. Your faith is going to be tested. It's going to be tried and it's going to be true. It will be more solid and it will be precious. There's those that are walking through a fiery trial. God, I pray you give them strength. Give them patient endurance to be able to stand underneath the weight of the trial they're walking through. But God, I pray that they wouldn't walk through that trial alone, but they would, be, they would find community to walk with them. Let us be that church. Let us be that community of faith that can walk with them through their trial. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me, just, let me just say this. We've talked a lot today about putting your faith in Jesus. Let me ask you this. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord? Have you ever said to him, Jesus, I want to follow you. I don't want to live my own life, but I choose to make you Lord of my life. I want to follow you and go your way. If that's you today, I want to ask you just to pray this simple prayer with me. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, that's Jesus, that they will be saved, they'll be forgiven, they'll get a fresh start and a new beginning. Today, all you have to do is just say, Jesus, I need you. Maybe pray a prayer like this. Jesus, I come to you today. I confess my sins to you. I've tried to live life on my own. But today I make a decision to follow you. Forgive me. Save me. And set me free. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Join us each week on the podcast or live in San Francisco, California. Keep up with life at Sozo Church by following at Sozo Church SF on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a great day.